Well, this morning, I've entitled the message, It Is Finished. You know, one of the things I want to talk about this morning is why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was so important. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you you already know the answer to this. You know why it was so important. But here's the thing is that Jesus lived his life. He, he was an amazing man. And he did so many amazing things. I mean, we, we know that he, he was God in the flesh. He was born a virgin. He spent his entire adult ministry performing miracles. He turned water to wine. He opened the eyes of the blind. The, the deaf heard. The lame leaped. Demons were cast out of people and the dead were raised. But the death and the the resurrection of Jesus, that was actually the the culmination of his ministry. That was the entire purpose of his ministry. And the thing is, is that all those things that I just mentioned, all those miracles, all that stuff that took place, they, they were absolutely incredible. I mean, can you imagine to be able to see those things? But the thing is, is that without the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus would just have been an amazing figure in history. He would have been a man that people would write about because he did so many amazing things. But had, he, had, had there not been the death and resurrection, that's all he would have been was an incredible man that did amazing things. And I'm not necessarily speaking about the, the physical act because the truth is, is that then many were crucified, although only one rose again in three days. But rather what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ represented, what it accomplished, what its purpose was. Because Jesus didn't just come to walk the earth for a few years and perform a few miracles. Those miracles were just proof that he was who he said he was. Those were just to demonstrate to people that that what he said, that they should take heed, that they should listen. He came to fulfill the law. He came to, to fulfill, the, what that means is to fulfill the legal requirements of the law. And here's the thing about the law. The law is not just a, a list of do's and don'ts, but there is, there is, there's penalty, there's punishment attached to it. Just like in our legal system, uh, the law is not just to say you can't do something, but if you do, if you, if, you, if you steal from somebody, the law doesn't say you can't do that, but it says that if you do do that, that you will be convicted, that you will be, uh, have to pay a penalty for those things that you've done. And that's the thing about God's laws. There's a cost to not measuring up. And the reality is is that none of us can measure up. None of us can meet the level of perfection required to be in the presence of God. And then we learned from Paul in the book of Romans that uh, the wages of not living up or the wages of sin was death. That was the punishment required for death. So the law came and said, this is your plumb line. This is what you have to be. And if you, if you don't measure up, the punishment is death. And Jesus came and he substituted his life for our own. The truth is every single one of us are deserving of death for our sins, for our failures, for every mess up. The wages of sin is death. There's nothing that we can do about that. But it has to be paid. So Jesus came and he gave his life for ours. He, he, he stood in our place. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to satisfy the penalty of sin and to set us completely free from the bondage of sin and death. And what Jesus did was so much more than the miracles that he performed while he was walking this earth. Because the greatest miracle that Jesus did was to set us free and to make us brand new. And just like I titled this message, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. 
There's nothing more that we can do to add to what he did. There's nothing more required of us to add to what he did. And he did it because he loved you and me. He loved you so much that he willingly went to the cross and gave his life. The Bible says that you were the joy set before him. Yeah, you. You were the joy that was set before him. You're the reason that he endured the pain, the, shuff, the, the suffering. You're the reason he endured the cross. You're the, you're the reason for it all. You are because he loved you that much. He thought you were worth it. Hallelujah. I hope you guys are... My, my wife made a bunch of uh, Easter decorations and she was very excited to put them up in the church. But unfortunately, Easter's not happening in the church. So we at least put a couple up. She made this one right here. This one in the back corner right there. Um, I believe Mireya painted that one. And uh, so we got to put a couple of them up at least. There's a little... Uh, there it is. There's a little uh, a house back in the corner. Um, you know, the thing about Easter is, is this stuff seems insignificant. But the truth is, it's all part of the celebration. You know, when you, when, when, like I just said, when you find out someone loved you so much that they gave your life, that they gave their life for you, how do you respond in any other way to define any way that you can to honor that person? And uh, even though we couldn't enjoy them in the church, I hope you enjoy the honor that Amidea and Michelle and there was more made, uh, Allison helped out as well. And uh, because they wanted to honor Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So the first scripture that I want to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. And it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. You know, when we're talking about the sacrifice Jesus made and this, this idea that, that his death and resurrection were different, they were important. It wasn't just some guy that died on the cross, but it was so much more than that because the reality is this event was foretold. Jesus' death and resurrection weren't a surprise. They certainly weren't a surprise to God because he's the one that put that plan in motion. And I know some people think, oh, how could God murder his son? But you have to realize that, that, that Jesus... And God are the same. They're, they're th uh, two different persons, but the same God. So God actually sent himself. God gave his own life for us. But Jesus knew that this was going to happen here in, in, in uh, verses 17 through 19. Uh, Jesus actually foretold what was going to happen. Jesus knew it was coming. Jesus wasn't surprised, surprised either. He wasn't caught off guard. He went willingly for us. And the reality is, is that's the very purpose that he came for. And if you want to spend some time doing a little more research, there was at least three other times in the Bible recorded where he announced his death and resurrection. Matthew 12, 40, uh, Matthew 16, 21, and Matthew 17, 22 all, all uh, show that Jesus knew his death was coming. And I have to imagine, you got to think about the disciples. They're hearing Jesus say this. 
And they had to be confused. They, they, they certainly didn't understand yet who Jesus was. To them, the Messiah was going to be a, a, a military or political figure to free them from the oppression of Rome. And they weren't quite sure what was going on. And it certainly didn't make any sense that their Messiah would die. How would that work? How could he save them from, from, from Roman uh, uh, oppression if he died? In fact, we know that Jesus had to rebuke Peter in Matthew 16, 22 through uh, 23. Uh, you remember Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, when, when uh, Jesus explained that he would be handed over to be crucified. And he said, may that never be. And, and Jesus had to say, listen, you're, you're trying to, to go against the plan of God because this is what he came for. And I can't even imagine today... Uh, what Jesus has gone through to really wrap your head around what Jesus went through for us is is mind boggling. I don't know if any of you have seen the Passion of the Christ. I know many of you have, but I've seen it one time, and and I'll be honest with you, I don't have a desire to see it again because it's probably the closest representation any of us will ever see of what Jesus actually went through, and yet I still think it doesn't measure up. It doesn't compare. Several years ago, I preached a message called Real Love. And we walked through Jesus going to the cross in that message. And I, I went through and kind of demonstrated in, in, in somewhat great detail what Jesus went through. Because I wanted to demonstrate how much he loved you, what he was willing to endure. Because he loved each and every person that is listening to my voice right now. Not just those, but certainly he loved you. And he did that for you and me. He gave up everything for you and me. And, and that was the plan. He wasn't caught by surprise. That's what he came here to do. And then in John twelve twenty seven through 32, it says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why Jesus came. And in verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that he had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus was a man just like you or me. Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. But while he lived on this earth, he was fully man just like us. He had to be. Because if he wasn't like us, then, then his sacrifice wouldn't have been enough. He had to be one of us to give himself like us, to give his life to be a replacement for ours. If he, was, if he wasn't 100% man, then it would just like a, a bull or goat that was being sacrificed that couldn't take our place. But he was a man just like us. And the reality is, is he wasn't looking forward to, at least from the perspective of him being a man, to what was coming. He said his soul was troubled. And he asked God to save me from this hour. Luke twenty two forty one through 42, it says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. As a man, Jesus didn't want to face what he was going to have to face, but he still did it because he loved you. 
Jesus understood that this was the plan of God to make it so that you and me could be set free, that we could have our sins paid for. That every failure, every mess up, every mistake, everything that we have ever done that wasn't in keeping with God's word, that didn't measure up to, to the, the perfection that we needed to be, uh, to be in the presence of God, Jesus came and paid that penalty for us. And I, I often wonder as he was praying, he, he, he says, God, you know, if you can remove this cup, do it. You know, Jesus was saying that the man part of Jesus was saying, if there's any other way, let's do that. But I wonder what God the Father felt like when his son was crying out saying, God, help me. I know if my my own personal son was crying out, Dad, don't make me do this. I would struggle. It would cause me so much pain. And the truth is, is that uh, everyone here should be thankful that I'm not God because I would have said, let's do something else. But Jesus understood. He knew this was the plan of God. It was his purpose for being here. And then the scripture said, a voice was heard. And Jesus said, this was for those listening to know that it was sent from God. The thing is, when you look at Jesus' life, everything that Jesus did while he walked this earth, everything that happened to him was to demonstrate that God was with him, to demonstrate that this was God's plan. Even the resurrection itself was God's stamp of approval. It proved that Jesus was who he said he was, and that he did what he said he would do. And then he ends this in verse 32. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And we learn from other scriptures that when he's talking about this, it's referring to to the way uh, that he was to die. He was lifted up on a cross. And then after three days, he was lifted up again and rose again. But it's his love for us. His willingness to do that is what draws us in. He says, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. And right now, if if you're born again and you're already a believer, you, you know what this drawing was. And even now, his love still draws you. And if you're not born again, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that his love is drawing you. And he loved you so much that he gave up everything that you could be made right with God so that you could spend an eternity with him that, that when you die, it's not the end and you're not spending uh, eternity in torment and a lake of fire, but rather you're spending it with him. He made provision for you. And in the same token, particularly all of us who, who have believed, we need to lift up Jesus in front of men as well so that they might see his love. That we'd be able to demonstrate it in us and how we live our lives, that we could be the hands and feet of Jesus to show them that Jesus loves them more than they could ever imagine. And we need to share the reality that the job has been done. All the sins of the world have been paid for. The entire world. I went through some of these scriptures last week, but First John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means he paid for them. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And a few, a few more, Ephesians 1, 7, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, they all say the same thing. You can look at my message last week. I had even more scriptures that talked about how Jesus paid the price for the sins of the entire world. That means you. If you're listening to this right now, that means you. He died for your sins. He paid the price for you. He loved you that much so that you 
could be made right with God and spend eternity with him in heaven. We also, as believers, need to remind people that nobody would pay twice for something. If we went to a restaurant and somebody paid our bill, we'd be crazy if we were to try to pay the bill again. But that's exactly what we're doing if we don't receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we don't receive that free gift of salvation, we're saying, no, I know that it's been paid for. The sins of the world have been paid for, but we would like to pay for that ourselves. We need to tell the world when we lift up the name of Jesus that if anyone sins, they have an advocate. If they stumble, they fall, they have an advocate. One who says, Father, his sins have been paid for by me. If you'll just receive that free gift, Jesus Christ is your advocate before the Father. And he was the one sacrifice for all time. That means he perfected you for all time. And he was lifted up, paid the price for your sin and failure so you don't have to be. In John 19, 28-30, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When Jesus had accomplished all that there was to be accomplished to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, And he was ready to breathe his last. He said, I thirst. John says it was to fulfill scripture. And and, uh, uh, scholars have have offered up their opinion of which one it might be. In Psalm 69, 21, it says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Psalm 42, 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God? And Psalm 22:15 says my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death. But the reality is is that Jesus thirsted both physically and spiritually. And unlike the wine that was mixed with myrrh earlier which he he declined because that would have dulled his senses. He needed to be fully conscious and aware to receive the punishment that we should have received. This wine he drank a little bit. And the result was him being able to wet his mouth just enough that he could proclaim, it is finished. According to the Greek, the the, the word used here for it is finished is teletastai, meaning it is accomplished, it is fulfilled, or even it is paid in full. Another commentary I read said it means it is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. And the point here is that there is nothing more to be done when Jesus said, It is finished. He meant it. When he said it is finished, there's nothing more that is required of you and me to have our sins completely wiped out. I want you to understand. If you've not received this free gift of salvation, the only thing that you have to do to be right with God is to receive by faith his free gift. You don't have to perform I've had so many people tell me that I I can't come into church because if I walked in the church, I would burst into flames or the church would burst into flames. There's this idea that somehow we have to get our life figured out before we come to to the cross, before we come to Jesus. But the reality is, is that he paid the price for it all. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing. You can never live good enough to be right with God. And that's why Jesus came. 
So don't wait till you think that you're somehow good enough because you can never do it on your own. Come right now. Come as you are. And fall at the feet of Jesus and say thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me because he did it freely. He knew everything that you've done. He knew everything that you're going to do. And he did it anyway because he loves you. And what he did means that there's nothing more required of you. There's nothing that you must do to attain salvation. And if you're already born again, there's nothing that you must do to maintain salvation. We, we don't earn it by our works. The only thing that we do is, is to put our trust in him to maintain and continue in the faith is what the scripture says. And faith isn't a work. When you, when you read the scripture, every time that it's mentioned, faith and works are always contrasted. They're not the same thing. Faith is never considered a work. It's simply saying yes. It's simply putting your trust in him. The only thing that we have to do to receive salvation is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and continue walking in that faith. Because he accomplished it all. I want there to be no doubt that when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. Amen? Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being Sacrifice. I want, this is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says about the finished work of Jesus. You see, the, the, you might already know this, but under Jewish law, in order for sin to be temporarily dealt with, animals were sacrificed. And they were, they were set as a substitute for the penalty for sin, because sin has always had a penalty that needed to be paid. And the sacrifices were continual, day after day, week after week, year after year, they were offering sacrifices to as a stopgap for the penalty of their sin. But it was never permanent. That was what the writer here is pointing out. It was never permanent because if it was permanent, it wouldn't happen day after day, week after week, year after year. In the uh, uh, verses uh, uh, 4 of chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews, it says it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And it's reiterated right here in verse 11. And it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Jesus Christ, he came and he offered himself up once for all time, the sacrifice that would pay for all sin for all time. This means your old sins, that you've committed in the past. This means any future sins that you might commit. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for them all. And it says that uh, Jesus Christ sat at the right hand of the Father. It says in verse 12, But when he had, Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. And do you know why he sat down? Because there was no more work to do. By a single offering, he had perfected for all time. You can read that right here in verse 14. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you place your trust in him, then that is you. You have been perfected. That means that you stand before God perfect. You can stand before his throne without blemish, without stain, without fear. You can approach it with boldness. 
And it's not because of anything that you did, but for everything that he did. He took care of what you owed. And when he sat down on the right hand of the Father, he demonstrated that it was complete. And church, while it's amazing what he's accomplished so far, did you know it didn't stop there? In his death, he paid for the the, the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. But in in a few short days, three days after he gives his life, he spends three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the ground. And then on Sunday, the third day, he rises again. He deals with the root cause of sin in our life. Luke 24, 1-7 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? You see, the empty tomb was proof that Jesus was who he says he was. In Matthew 28, we see that an earthquake happens and the angels roll the stone away from the tomb. But I want you to know this wasn't to let Jesus out, but it was to let others in that they could see that the tomb was empty, that that it had been accomplished, that God had given his approval. Exactly what Jesus said would happen did happen. And the angels, they give a rebuke to the disciples when they show up and they say, don't you remember what he said? And this is a rebuke that we could all use from time to time because we do the same thing in our lives. We forget what what he said when we're sick. We ask God, why is this happening to me? And we forget that he died to make us whole. When we're struggling financially, we forget that he said, I know the plans that I have for you. And then we can trust him. When we're afraid, we forget that he's not given us a spirit of fear. And when we succumb to temptation, we forget. It's because we forgot that we are new creations in Christ. When he died and rose again, we died with him and our sins were paid for. But when he rose again, we rose again with him in newness of life, completely free from the bondage of sin. Sin no longer has a hold over you. And the empty tomb was proof that he had rose. And many things have been said about this empty tomb. Many say that his body was stolen, but this is interesting to me because if it was the disciples that stole his body, how could they have gone from a people that were crushed, they were destroyed when the one that they had put all the trust in, he died. And then three days later, when he rose again, now they're one of the, the greatest evangelical forces in the history of the world that they were willing to die for their faith. Before Peter, we know that, that Jesus went to the cross and he denies him three times. He was broken. How could this how could their Messiah be killed? But when he when he rose again, they finally saw. And they didn't hold anything back. Almost every disciple was martyred for his faith. They believed he was who he said he was, or they wouldn't have done that. Well, maybe it was the Roman soldiers that stole him, or the Jewish leaders that stole him. But the thing is, is that all of them wanted Christianity to stop. The easiest way to stop Christianity would be to produce the body. With no resurrection, there is no Christianity. If they had the body, don't you think they would have produced it? Some say he was actually he actually wasn't dead, but he just swooned. And, and anybody that studied the death of, of Jesus Christ will tell you that that's crazy. 
You don't just swoon from those kind of wounds. Not to mention the Roman soldiers said that he was dead. If you remember when Joseph uh, wanted to bury him, uh, they had to check and make sure that he was dead before before they gave him approval. And they, they stabbed a spear in his side. The, the, the Roman soldiers knew what death looked like. They weren't, they weren't going to be tricked by Jesus pretending to be dead. And then we find out later that he's embalmed and he's, 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 uh, when he's wrapped in the, the covering a hundred pounds of spices. Now, when you want to think about that, just go to your cupboard and pick up some, uh, one of those little packets of spices and think how much spices that had to be to have a hundred pounds. And he was wrapped in cloth with all that around him. I, I don't, he didn't swoon. There's no evidence for that. The fact is, is that Jesus rose from the dead and that was proof that God had approved of what, what he did. He was alive. The angel made it clear, why do you seek the living one from the dead? Jesus was who he said he was, and the resurrection was the stamp of approval by God. He was who he said he was. He died and he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might be made brand new and be set free from the bondage of sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Scripture foretold what was going to happen, that Jesus would die and raise again. It was all according to God's word. It was all according to God's plan from the very beginning to not only forgive man, but to make him brand new, to restore him to the same position that Adam held in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had no past. He had no history. He had no failures. And when we are born again, the same thing is restored to us. Our past is wiped away. Our failures are wiped away. Our sin is completely wiped away. And Jesus showed himself to so many people that there's no doubt that Jesus rose from the grave. When Paul was preaching this very message right here, the people that had seen Jesus were still alive. At any point, somebody could have come forward and said, he's crazy, he's lying. This didn't happen, I was there. But you never see that. And we're talking about 500 plus people, not just one or two that came together to make a plan. But 500 plus people saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. And we don't hear anywhere, not in the Bible, not any extra biblical writings, that anybody said this was a lie. And they were there. They known they were they would have known it would have happened. Jesus died for our sins. All of our sins are paid for, and there's nothing more that can be added to it, and his resurrection is proof that it is finished. In first Corinthians fifteen, twenty through twenty six, we find out some important information on why Jesus had to die at all, because I know that's a question that many people ask. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 20 through 26 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a fact. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God and the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. If you're not a Christian, you don't know the stories. Death actually came from Adam. Death was never intended to be. It wasn't until in the Garden of Eden that Adam ate the fruit of the knowledge uh, of good and evil that he sinned, that death was introduced into this world. Pain and suffering and sin, they all came at the result of that first act of disobedience, that first act of sin. They came into the world. And because of him, every single person that's been born since, we're all dead in our trespasses. And that seems pretty harsh. It seems crazy. Why would God hold all of us responsible for what this guy Adam did several thousand years ago? It doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't seem to be something a fair or a good God would do until you actually take a moment to evaluate what is going on. Because if that were not the case, we would only have our own lives to show God, to stand before God with what we have done. If that were not the case, we would stand before God and our life would be on trial. And the truth is, is not a single person could could say that they've lived perfectly. Not a single person that's ever lived on this earth except for Jesus Christ has lived a perfect and sinless life. We all have faults. None of us measure up. But there's good news because that's what the gospel is all about. If by one man, Adam, all men could die, then by one man we could all be saved. Because one man held us accountable to sin, one man, Jesus Christ, can make it so that we are born again, that we are made brand new. One man died and caused us all to fall into sin, to be dead in our sins and trespasses. But one man lived and was, was rose again, and through him, sin was paid for. That body of sin, that body of death was done away with. And all things are in subjection to Jesus Christ. You see, we think it's unfair that through one man, death came. But I'm glad that's how it happened, because in one man we could all be saved. Which, if you think about it, isn't fair either. But... Because one man brought death, one man can bring life. And that man is Jesus Christ. And we do it by putting our faith inside of him. We put our trust in Jesus. And when Jesus returns, we are going to reign with him. Death is going to be completely abolished. And we are going to live for eternity with him. So today I want to finish on this last uh, couple verses in scripture. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty through 26 but each in his own order. Oh, sorry. Uh, John 3, 3 through 7. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, and you must be born again. Nicodemus was one of the best of the best. He, he, he represented the best in the nation. And he was a, a teacher. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the San, Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish ruling council. And uh, he came at night to ask Jesus this question. Uh, 
Maybe he was afraid somebody would see him speaking to Jesus. Maybe he was hoping there would be less of a crowd. And he came to him respectfully, said, teacher. But he didn't really grasp who Jesus was. I think later he does, because we find out later he defends Jesus, saying our law requires he be heard before being condemned. And he actually helps bury Jesus. He's the one that supplies that hundred pounds of spices I talked about earlier. But as he's talking to Jesus, we see how the resurrection ties into the life of a Christian. The resurrection makes it possible for us to be born again. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive a brand new spirit inside of us. A miracle takes place. And the old person that you were is dead. He dies with Jesus Christ and you're giving a new life. You are born again of the spirit of that that very moment. And the truth is, is to even be able to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. To enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And this is how we understand this stuff, is that we are born again, we receive that free gift. And the moment that you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, a miracle takes place. The old man is gone, and you have received a new spirit inside of you. You are made brand new. You are given a new life. You are raised to life with Jesus. That's the whole picture of the uh, the cross and the, and the resurrection is that we die with Jesus by faith on the cross. Our old man dies and the penalty is paid. And then we raise again in newness of life alongside of him. And if you've already been born again, I want to remind you that there's nothing you can do to add to what Jesus Christ has already done. Even if you wanted to, there's nothing that you can do. All we can do is give him thanks. All we can do is give him our worship because he has already given us so much. And if you're not born again today, the scripture is clear. He says that you must be born again. Right here it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that was your natural birth when you were born. When you were inside the belly of your mother, her water broke. You were born of water. And it says you must be born of the Spirit as well. And that's when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A new spirit is placed inside of you. And I want you to know that there is nothing that you have to do to earn this. There is nothing that you have to do uh, to make Jesus be willing to save you. If you have not... Ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. This is not an opportunity that you want to miss. This is the very reason Christians come together and celebrate this day. Because this is the day the Lord rose again and made us brand new. So I'm going to take a moment right now. Um, All you believers out there, I want you to bow your head and begin to pray right now. That people would receive this free gift. Everybody with their eyes closed, every believer right now, eyes closed, praying. I want to give those of you who have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not received this free gift of salvation, I want to give you the opportunity right now. I'm going to pray with you. And as you've seen me go through, I've just talked about how Jesus came and he died. 
and he paid for every single one of your sins. All the ones you have committed, all the ones you're going to commit, Jesus paid for them all. He said, it is finished. He sat down at the right hand of his father. There is nothing more to be done, nothing more to be accomplished. There is nothing that you have to do to get right with God. And every attempt that you make on your own will fail because it's an, and it's an impossible thing to do. But God, knowing that, he sent his son to pay the penalty for you, to pay the price for you, so that you could die alongside with him by faith and raise again to newness of life. And the way that you do this is simple. The truth is, is I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer right now, but it's not even the words of the prayer that save you. It's the attitude of heart. It's the the reality that you are going to put your trust in Jesus Christ that you are going to repent or turn away from that old way of life and you're going to focus your eyes on him. And you're just going to trust and believe that he lived, that he died, and then he rose again for the forgiveness of your sins and to set you free from the bondage of sin and death. So if that's you this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just go ahead and and, uh, bow your head and pray this prayer with me. And agree with me as I pray. Father, I just thank you that you loved me so much that you sent your son to give his life freely for me. I believe that he lived. I believe that he went to the cross willingly for the joy set before him. And that joy was me. I believe that he gave his life freely. And when he had done so, that every single one of my sins were paid for. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And when he rose again, I rose in newness of life with him. I have been made brand new. Father, I thank you that he has paid every penalty, every debt that I owe. And I thank you that I am brand new now. That I am free from the bondage of sin and death. I now call you Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you this morning, for the first time you said that prayer and you believed it in your heart, like I said, the words of the prayer don't save you. It's the the, the attitude of heart. It's your faith and trust in Jesus that does. Go ahead and put something in the comments so that we can uh, go ahead and encourage you and pray with you. Uh, we want to be there for you. You can email me at pastorwayne at livinghopemarana.org. You can uh, jump on our Facebook page and say something. Comment in the comments. But I, I want to pray with you. And I want to encourage you. A miracle has just taken place right now. When you said yes to Jesus, you are brand new. You are forgiven. You are free. And you are going to spend eternity with Jesus. Amen. Well, let's go ahead. Everybody, let's bow our head as we end the service. Right after I pray, I got a little game I want to play with you guys as well as I go ahead and say hi to everybody. But let's go ahead and, and bow our head right now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your son to live on this earth and that he willingly gave his life for us. And because of his death, all of our sins have been forgiven. His body was broken so that we could be made whole. And Father, I thank you that he rose again from the dead, ensuring that we rose with him, having newness of life. We thank you so much, Father. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration, and we give it freely because no one else is worthy of it. And we give you praise and thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.